The following podcast was recorded on Friday, June 4th, 2021, featuring Jim Bianco of Bianco Research and Ben Breitholtz of Arbor Data Science. To hear the podcast in real time, you can sign up for a free trial at arborresearch.com or by emailing Gus Handler directly at gus.handler at arborresearch.com. You can also call Arbor Research and Trading at 1-800-606-1872. Thanks for your time and enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome everyone to Talking Data. Our Talking Data series seeks to offer timely insights into the macro market themes along with macro data and its impact on the economy and markets. I'm your host, Kristen Radish with Arbor Research and Trading, joined today by Jim Bianco of Bianco Research and Ben Breitholtz of Arbor Data Science. Today, Jim and Ben will be discussing the payroll report, what it means for inflation and the outlook for yields. This morning, we had the, the payroll report. Jim, start us off. What did it tell us? Yeah, it came in a little bit light of expectations at around 580,000 or thereabouts. Uh, it was in in the absolute measure a fairly decent payroll report. At least it would have been pre-crisis a, a very good payroll report. But by coming in a little bit less than expected after last month's <clears throat> big disappointment, which was the largest payroll report miss in history, and then you combine it with that we've had two straight months now where average hourly earnings have been way above expectations, five-tenths increase this month as well, too. Narrative is starting to uh, develop here that the economy is not, or people aren't rushing back to work as much because they're not getting paid to rush back to work, and that employers might have to raise wages in order to attract people back which means that the restoration of jobs is going to take a lot longer than we thought. And we know now that the Fed has shifted their focus, that unemployment and getting everybody back to work is their main goal, and they will tolerate higher inflation if that's what it takes to get everybody back to work. And this report showing that it's going to take a little bit longer has been viewed positively by the bond market and even the stock market that the tapering that the Fed we thought was going to do might get pushed further back. You know, coming into this payroll report, the consensus was at the Jackson Hole meeting at the end of August, the Fed would announce that they're thinking about tapering and then that they would answering, announce that they are tapering in the first quarter. I don't know if that consensus has changed, but if it if anything, it's gotten pushed back, it's definitely gotten not moved forward. So the market likes the idea that the Fed is buying bonds and there's no reason for them to think that they're gonna change that, at least for now. Yeah, I think the, you know, the, the kind of the bummer here that we see in the report is the higher wage jobs in construction, mining, manufacturing are just not showing up. So we saw construction lose something like 20,000 jobs, uh, which is, is pretty surprising. You know, mining and logging did zero. We got maybe 23 or so thousand into manufacturing. Um, and but the lion's share, share of it came from or went into leisure and hospitality, but they still have a long road to go to climb out of um, you know out of this mess. We still have 7.6 million jobs that need to be recouped in order to put the economy back where it needs to go. But I agree with Jim. I think you know this is not a report that fits the bill of substantial further progress for Powell and the Federal Reserve. And this 
potentially could mean somewhat of a peak in the markets as well as uh, financial medias in particular is focus on tapering. So the amount of news articles focused on tapering, uh, which we have a chart up right now, has just been uh, rocketing higher led by the Bank of Canada and the Federal Reserve. Of course, we've had some start to get into this game. Australia is potentially one. You know, we have New Zealand, we have Hungary, we have some you know, kind of smaller central banks that have started to join this tapering and maybe not just like tightening, but reining back special measures. Um, but it seems like that game of getting to that point within the Federal Reserve and especially places like the ECB is going to take more time uh, just because, like Jim said, the employment is the number one directive. Inflation is definitely in, you know, in the backseat and they're going to allow inflation to run hot. They're going to be late on purpose and, uh, you know, that will have ramifications to some degree. Um, and that's to be determined this summer into this fall. That was our next topic to get into is really what is the impact um, for inflation based on today's news? Yeah, so I think for inflation, Jim's right too, you know, wages and rents here, we've been kind of preaching are the big story. And those are the stickier components of inflation. So if the wages aren't high enough to bring and lure people back, given the stimulus and things that they've received, they're going to need to march higher. Now, there's been some evidence of that uh, in the lower rungs, the McDonald's and so on, and Amazon. Uh, too, but we need to see a more appreciable rise, continued rise in wages, and then ultimately in rents, which we've begun to see too, to bring that sticky CPI higher. Um, you know, none of this is necessarily, uh, well, I guess it's somewhat, but not necessarily tied to the transitory um, factors. Maybe some of the transitory supply chain induced issues are what's keeping the construction industry, manufacturing from uh, really getting back um, in line. But some of this, you know, should get worked out. Uh, by the year end. And I think that's kind of the Fed's thought too, and Jim would probably hopefully confirm that since he gets to talk with them. Um, but it's, it, you know, that's kind of the big question mark. And, you know, can these supply chain induced uh, transitory style inflation bursts wane into year end? Typically it was, you know, in a typical cycle of delivery time delays and manufacturing supply chain issues, it's usually a 10 month you know, kind of time to mean revert, which takes us into November, December. If that can happen, um, great. The Fed will look somewhat right, but they're still going to have to contend with the bigger rent and wage story. Um, so I think this is, I hope I didn't confuse anybody, but that's kind of the story. And that's, you know, inflation is confusing right now. And that's why I think we're also in this just horrible trading range across anything and everything except for the crypto market. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree that the Fed is hoping that this is transitory. They're making arguments that all of what we're seeing in this burst of prices is part of the reopening process. It's no big deal. We expected it, et cetera. Um, I'll remind you, I've said this on previous calls, they have really no working theory on inflation. None of us do. I'm not trying to pick on them specifically. It's a very hard thing in order to get your head around when it comes to what causes inflation, what doesn't cause inflation. We've had monitors theories and Keynesian theories and rational expectation theories, and they all have their strengths or weaknesses, but they're all a little bit um, you know, lacking in trying explaining where inflation is coming. But I want to emphasize two things that Ben said. The sticky part of inflation about OER and rents, uh, and that, you know, we've talked about this on previous calls that 
the you've talked about Ben, the searches are coming back and the rent moratorium or the eviction moratoriums, excuse me, giving everybody uh, uh, all those zero rentals pushing down the average price, which should come off at the end of the year. You might start to see those numbers go up and that could be a big uh, push towards the sticky part of inflation, which could make the Fed uncomfortable, but that's later this year. That's not right now as far as inflation goes. And the other thing I'll mention about inflation, there's an article in the FT today, and it is getting more and more traction all the time. You know, we've got this basket that we look at when they measure inflation. What percentage do you spend on food and on energy and on rents? And what percentage do you spend on clothing or bicycles or cars or education and all these, uh, all these other categories? Well, the pandemic has changed our spending patterns to a degree we've never seen before in history. There's been radical changes. We don't go to restaurants, we buy from grocery stores. Uh, we buy more bicycles and used cars. We don't buy subway tokens as much. We don't go uh, as much too. So what's been also happening in the data is the stuff that we don't use as much, restaurants, um, subway tokens, that are falling in price, are overweighted, and the stuff that we're buying more of groceries, bicycles, used cars, are underweighted. So now there's even been some studies saying that even now we're back to a structural under, underestimation of inflation as well, too. The point is, this is really confusing. There, you know, The Fed could come out and say transitory, and they could be 100% right. They could be 100% wrong. And we just don't know right now. Now, my take is that we're going to have more inflation in the future, but then that's my take. I think OER is going to move higher. I think wages are going to move higher, and it's going to be a little bit more sticky. But I think the bigger take beyond my take is this is really, we're all guessing right now as far as where inflation goes, and we're all going to hope that it comes out the way that we think it's going to come out. Yeah, just to comment on that really quickly, the, the search activity, too, we track on a consumer level within the U.S. and even globally, they, the consumers have not given up on goods yet. And so everyone was thinking we'd have this vax, you know, and, and euphoria this summer um, and all this, you know, this, this quick spending going back to services. And we have, we've, yes, we've seen that increase. Uh, by a certain, by a pretty decent degree, but they haven't given up those goods purchases. So, I, I, to Jim's point, the really the behavior of consumers and how, are they going to give up this this big push into goods and you know kind of now mildly getting back into services is going to kind of stay that way for a while. The longer it does, the more that these patterns that aren't picked up by traditional measures of inflation become a problem. So we'll have to see um, how long that really persists. For our last topic today, uh, the question is, what is the outlook for yields? Jim, do you want to take that? Yeah. So the, uh, right now, to answer the question directly, I think the outlook for yields is more nothing. You know, they're just going to meander sideways. Uh, and as they meander sideways, everybody wins. The inflationistas like me could say, it's still coming. And the transitory crowd could say, it's transitory. And no one seems to have a um, a definitive answer one way or the other. The one thing I would say about yields is there is a bit of a circular logic at the Fed. Ben mentioned I've, I've, I've talked to the Fed this week, and when I expressed my concerns about inflation to them, they would come back to me and go, well, then why aren't bond yields going higher? And my answer to them is because you're buying $120 billion a month of this stuff. 
And so, you know, you buy a bunch of bonds and you go, ha ha, see, bonds are going higher. That means inflation is transitory. It's like, you know, be careful here as to which one we're, we're wanting to look at. But I do think that this payroll report and the action that we've seen is just going to probably lead to more sideways action and an inconclusive result in what yields mean. And in the lack of a conclusive result, if yields just continue to meander at 1.5, 1.6 something, um, that'll be positive for risk markets. They'll continue to move higher. Yeah, and if you, I mean, if you look back at you know somewhat similar periods where we had major Fed decisions, this would be basically in 2013 and also 2018, and when bearishness regarding bonds became extreme. So you know financial media gets really bearish on bonds, and we actually have a chart that shows this too, looking across the television news archive at financial major news networks. But after those periods, going into for example July of 2013, February 2018. We went into what Jim just said, which is kind of like out of the never ending story. It's the nothingness just consumes everything or the nothing. Um, and you get these horrible range trades. And last time, these last two instances lasted for nine months of just nasty range trading with like, okay, so, you know, things that looked like breakouts one way and then it went back the other. Um, and so if we're in store for that, that means you know we could be range trading for another five plus months. Um, while everyone figures this out, which might make sense, again, getting back to how long it takes for the supply chain to kind of get back to normal, which we think is somewhere around November, December of this year, that's going to fit that story. It kind of fits this kind of calendar perspective the Fed has now looking into the end of this year, beginning of next year for where things are once you know vaccinations have fully gone through the economy and we've fully reopened. So it you know it's it's a it's a kind of a, a weird boring environment and really this you could label this the most tranquil period on record across both domestic here in the U.S. sovereign ten-year yields and then also foreign but not only developed emerging market economies too. So if you take all these different ten-year yields across you know 20, 30 different economies, their average range or the range of their average yield, excuse me, uh, weighted by GDP, somewhere around 10 and a half basis points, which is just tiny. And it's the smallest on record, smaller than what we saw coming into December of last year that everyone thought was so, so boring. So ultimately, we're going to have to, you know, either you have to sit in your hands, wait for a breakout to happen, which is probably the, the smartest thing to potentially do. Um, or you're going to, you need to have a pretty strong conviction about why we would break out to lower yields. Right now, as we're recording this, yields are falling surprisingly post the payroll report. Or if you believe in the inflation story really continuing to heat up, fine, then maybe yields will get to 2%. Um, the only scary thing is that this, that could take a while for everyone to sort it out. And I'm with Jim, the circular reference or, um, you know, kind of logic that exists between central banks and investors is something that could churn on for a while. Everyone's waiting for the other side to go and uh, nobody's willing to really, really put their foot in the gas. So we could be in for some, a, a potentially a placid uh, you know, environment. Now that's not talking about the real economy, that's markets. Real economy remains where all the fun is. Right. I'll also just throw in on the markets too, just underscoring this is remember the first quarter total returns were among the worst ever recorded. The 30-year treasury lost 15.7% in the first quarter. You lost 15% owning a 30-year treasury in the first quarter. Worst quarter since 1976 when they started 
uh, issuing this stuff. When you usually have a, a big move like that in a market, it takes a period of digestion for the market to kind of, you know, you're not going to have that the second worst quarter, the quarter right after it. There's some sort of mean reversion and sometimes the mean reversion is time. And I think that that's what we're in right now. We're still digesting what happened in the first quarter. We're still waiting to see if transitory is the word. So I think we're all going to get excited that the bond market's about to do something and then it doesn't. And that's going to kind of be the, the story for this summer. And that's what I, I, the last thing I'll say about that is, is I'm really curious what's going to happen with in, you know, market-based inflation expectations. If treasury yields do remain just totally sideways, what are tipped yields going to do? Are, are we actually going to see potentially a slowdown in what has been the best asset class and risk-adjusted basis to own, which was you know, tips break-evens? Are they going to pull back ahead of potentially these sticky components rearing their head the end of this year, you know, early next year? Uh, we could be in for just more confusion. I mean, I could see an environment where tips break evens and inflation expectations all of a sudden just drop because it's, commodities get stable, uh, the interest rates are stable, the Fed, you know, is fine hemming and hawing, but mostly not going to taper. And fine, investors get kind of concerned that they've gone too far with inflation expectations and then flush them out. And then that would potentially you know, pose some kind of buying opportunity. So it's going to be interesting to see how they react this summer in a placid market. It could uh, expose, again, an opportunity for investors, but also uh, more confusion for, uh, for everybody, too. Just a, a last word on that. Ben, you're the guy who put out the chart that made us aware that the Fed now owns more than 25% of the tips market, up from about 10 a year ago. They have bought more tips than have been issued since March of 2020. So in a sideways market with their buying patterns, yeah, you could see tips break evens just start coming in, um, you know, over the over the course of the summer, everything else being equal. So it makes perfect sense. Well, thank you both for your thoughts today and thank you everyone for joining us. As a reminder, Arbor Research and Trading is an institutional research and brokerage firm. Our two most prominent research offerings are Bianco Research and Arbor Data Science. For further information or any questions, please contact Gus Handler at gus.handler at arborresearch.com. Have a great day.